Welcome to the Shrink Think Podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Nathan. And we're both licensed professional counselors in Oregon here to open up our lives and minds with you. We are your companion on the journey to grow your healthcare practice, yourself, and your relationships. To get you started, we've got a free email course on our website, shrinkthinkpodcast.com forward slash course with practical steps on overcoming your fear and anxiety. Thank you for joining us on the Shrink Think Podcast. Hi, welcome to the show today. We've got an awesome guest who is a colleague and a friend, a fellow group practice owner over in Colorado. She's going to be talking with us today on the show about managing some of her own grief. Uh, She's going to tell us a story about what it was like when she lost her mother and how she went back to work actually just a couple of weeks later carrying some of her own emotions and her own stuff into being a therapist and talking about how she managed that, some of the the tools she used and what that was like, sharing some of that with her clients in in good, healthy, appropriate ways, and then also in what ways she was able to kind of keep that away from the therapist office so that she wasn't like spilling things over inappropriately with her clients. Just really fascinating interview. Um, We really enjoyed getting to have her on the show and, and getting to know her a little bit, and we're excited for you to hear her story and for her to talk about those experiences, as well as some of her experiences on her podcast called Faith Fringes and what she shares with her clients about in terms of uh, spirituality, people that have been hurt by faith and religion and spirituality. So without further ado, let me introduce you to who Don Gabriel is. She is the CEO of Authentic Connections Counseling Center. She's a private practice consultant and host of the Faith Fringes podcast. Dawn is passionate about helping people achieve freedom from what's keeping them stuck, and she specializes in creating space to look deeper into spirituality and faith, free from judgment and shame. Dawn has been a licensed professional counselor for over 15 years and has worked in a variety of settings, including college campuses, the whole spectrum of community mental health, and in private practice. Dawn loves having a deep conversation over chai or a glass of wine. She's a hiking trail enthusiast. She's a wife and mom of two boys who all love living and adventuring in Colorado. So we hope you enjoy the interview with Dawn Gabriel. Hi, Dawn. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you for having me. It's so great to have you. Yeah, we're excited to have you uh, talk to us a little bit about um, who you are, your story as a therapist and practice owner, and then especially um, as we talk about the focus for today being grief and therapists who have their own stuff. You know, you mentioned before we were recording about even pregnancy. I don't know what that's like personally, (laughs) but I know many of my clinicians have gone through that. So in fact, some right now are going through that. So tell us a little bit about your story, how you became a therapist and your own story, I guess, with grief in your own stuff. Sure. Yes. I, um, I've been a therapist for 15 years. So, um, and I also own a group counseling practice. So I work with a lot of therapists myself. And as I've worked with therapists, I realize we sometimes, well, all the time we need to create a little bit more space for ourselves, especially when we're going through something hard, which I mean, life happens, right? We have to acknowledge that. And we're human too. We're not just perfect because we're therapists and we need to just have 
honest conversation about what do we do when we go through something like grief and or pregnancy. Like for me, my pregnancy was really hard. I was 37 when I got pregnant and it's very different than my friends who are in their twenties pregnant. And so I had a lot of hormones, a lot of anxiety, and it was, it was just hard to work through, but I was still working the whole time. And uh, same with grief. I lost my mom um, seven years ago to cancer and I, I mean, I couldn't just take months off. And so I really had to learn how to care for myself as a therapist and a personal person in the midst of seeing clients. And so just learning about grief and pregnancy on a personal level as well as professional. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Can you um, speak to a little bit of maybe getting to some more of the details of what was that like when, you know, after you lost your mother and you're faced with needing to go back to work and maybe even making the decision, like how much time off do I take? Or I'm even thinking like the very first day you're like, okay, I think I'm going to see a client today or several. And then what was that like carrying all that stuff into the session as a therapist and going through, you know, listening to other people's problems while you've got this massive thing of your own going on? Yeah, it was, I mean, it was a journey and this is me talking about it seven years after, but in the, I'm trying to, in the midst of it, my mom, um, you know, anyone who's dealt with cancer in their family and has had a loss from cancer, there's like a significant period of months usually, or even years where the decline is more obvious. So there were times where I would have to go see her for a surgery or rush out for an emergency. And she lived in a different state even. So I, I would have to take time off work. So as therapists, usually we do not share a lot of personal stuff with clients. But what I found is I'm definitely more, I disclose maybe a little more when I think it could benefit them or when, um, I mean, you just have to. So I shared with a lot of clients what was going on with my mom and I made sure not to have them try to caretake me. Like we talked yeah. about the boundaries of that, but I think it, it made me more personal with my clients, just sharing like, I'm so sorry, I have to cancel our appointment. There's been a family emergency. I have to go for a week, you know? Yeah, people naturally wonder like, oh, is everything okay? Or did something happen? You know, it, it, in, in some ways, part of taking care of them is giving them a little bit of that information. Yeah, yeah. And I think part of it though, for me, um, this is more my personality though, like Enneagram 3, oldest of five kids, always in leadership on some level. Um, I felt really it was really hard for me to let my clients down. And I say that in air quotes, even though you can't see me. Um, it was really hard for me to like say no and put boundaries and take time for myself because I felt like I should just be giving. But I, I literally could not <laughs> during this process. And even I remember one time I was literally at my office and I was working with another group of uh, practi other practitioners. And I got bad news about my mom and it was something that the cancer had spread to her brain and she was going into emergency surgery. And I just was like weeping and I'm not a crier usually, but I was like weeping and I had a client in the waiting room and one of my friends who was a therapist walked by and she's like, what's going on? And I told her and she went out and canceled my appointment for me and I just left for the rest of the day. And I mean, it was and that client, she was so sweet. She sent me um, a card, which I thought was sweet, like just letting me know she was okay and to ask if I was okay. And so, I mean, part of it was they they appreciated the realness. Um, and, and it was actually, I feel like there were times, like if someone did come in and they were dealing with 
someone with cancer, like I would cry with them, which again, I'm not usually a crier, but it honestly was super touching and raw and authentic. And it, I feel like it kind of helped the healing process with them too. I just had to make sure I was getting my own therapy on the side. <laughs> we did an episode earlier on empathy and being able to connect to something in your own self in order to be able to understand where somebody else is coming from is completely crucial when you're trying to just be with somebody when they're going through something horrible. And it's obviously, it would be terrible to go through some kind of pain. Like I can't imagine that. I haven't lost anybody to cancer. But if it happened to be that that was the case, and then you had, for example, a client that was also going through it, it, I imagine that client would feel very understood by you. That like, wow, I'm glad I have this therapist because she totally gets this. Uh, Maybe not the exact experience, obviously, but totally gets it. I'm wondering your seasoned therapist, Mm -hmm. how would you maybe coach younger therapists and let them like in regards to this stuff? I mean, you've said some things as you've gone, but some of it's more general knowledge or whatever. I think inside of like, you know, they talk in grad school, make sure that you don't (laughs) have your clients dependent on you, you know, (laughs) um, or whatever. But I mean, we know that you, and that part of the reason why we're doing this podcast is to let people know that we're real people. Yeah. And at the same time, we do have training that we don't just get sucked out of the room and forget about when we're in the room. And so that can be kind of confusing, I think, to folks. And it's something that you have to learn how to integrate and manage over the course of your therapeutic growth. And I'm wondering if you can share a little bit of the wisdom that you've learned with some of the maybe younger clinicians that we might have listening. Yeah. No, that's a super good question because I think what happens is... As therapists, we all, especially when we start out, we have all these preconceived notions of what a therapist should be and should look like in a figurative sense. And I think just allowing yourself to be human and know your limits. Like I had to have, like when you go through trauma or grief on an intense level in crisis, like you, you kind of lose, sometimes you don't care what people think and you kind of have to let yourself go there and be messy, Uh, not in front of your clients, but with your friends or your clinicians that you're on a team with and just be real. Like I don't have any space for drama in my life. I don't have any space for anything else. Like I, I just have to get through this and grieve in a healthy way and also give space to my clients. And so really being honest with what you can and cannot do. I I personally, after my mom passed away, I, I decided for myself, I was not going to take on any grief clients or grief work for 18 months um, until I made sure I worked through it. And I just let clients know, because I was still taking phone calls for my own practice then. And they would say, I just lost so-and-so I need to work through that. And I would say, I'm so sorry. That's really hard. I just lost my mom. And so because of that, it's too close. I can't work with you, but I have someone great I can refer to you. And it was it was hard. It took me a lot to get there, but I had to because it was too messy in session, to be honest. Yeah, that would be hard. That would be really hard to to yeah. differentiate. I don't I, I that's that was really wise to kind of know that and intentionally take that step back. I think that's one of those things where, you know, being a three, some of the drivers out there would have a very hard time taking it back. And the temptation would be to compartmentalize it, I would, I would think. Yeah. But that, that's not how grief works. When you compartmentalize stuff, grief kind of like seeps into every aspect of you. It's, it's very interesting. Cause I would like sit with people in grief before all this, 
And I would know the five stages of grief. And now they added a sixth <laughs> stage. And when it actually happened, I remember being like, F that. Like, we, there, are, <laughs> there are, forget the stages. This is like a jagged cliff. You're just jumping off into like this jagged waters and you're thrown around and there's nothing makes sense. And there's a million emotions and they do not go in that five stage thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think I might be in anger right now. <laughs> yeah, I think that. I know. Pretty much, yeah. I definitely anger is always my go-to, and I'm aware that there's stuff underneath. That primary emotions. <laughs> yeah, I was definitely no, anger. <laughs> it was a key. That's good. I, I mean, I think one of the things that you know Nathan is asking, what's some wisdom that you're you're sharing with these younger clinicians? It's, it's also knowing yourself. Yeah, I think knowing your limits, but knowing like where you're at, what you're where you're going through. And even sounds like you were seeing your own therapist, obviously, for grief. That's that's a good idea. I'm wondering, how did you know when it was safe to go back into it? You said after 18 months, you said no to grief. Did it end up being 18 months or was it shorter or longer? And how did you know when you were like, okay, I think I'm ready to broach this again? That's a good question because I remember saying 18 months, but I don't actually remember when I took my first client on with grief, but probably the anger had died down. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you just found yourself not saying get out <laughs> or, or wanting to compare sob stories you know what I mean like really you're grieving over your dead dog I don't care like <laughs> oh no <laughs> sorry was that too informative <laughs> no, no, too inform no. <laughs> if you have a dog you just lost please don't listen to this <laughs> I know right like I do have empathy now for people because I have my own dog lying right here actually. Anyway, all that to say is I think knowing the roller coaster wasn't so intense with my emotions. I And I had moved on to um, actually my mom passing away was pivotal in me starting my group practice. And I was able to know that I could help others. I hired three clinicians and started with three clinicians building a group practice. And I knew I really wanted to serve our community in that way. And so I changed locations, started a group practice. And I felt like like the giving back part of grief, when you finally have worked through some stuff, you realize coming out of extreme pain and hurt, but now I'm ready to kind of connect and give back out of the legacy my mom left. So I don't know if that makes sense, but... Yeah, it does. I, I guess I'm just realizing as you're saying that, maybe I should back up a little bit here and, and ask, I mean, because there's a a huge process there between, whoa, like I need 18 months, which it makes a lot of sense. You're essentially setting a boundary for yourself saying, I need to protect this process for myself and even protect my clients to some degree from me not having any objectivity in this grief stuff because I'm going through it myself. So between that and then, wow, I'm like, I'm a three, I'm ready to drive and, <laughs> and achieve and like create. So it, within that process, I guess, talk to us a little bit about what was that like for you as a therapist, having some of your own stuff come up and you're not seeing grief clients or issues with grief, but I'm sure some of that was coming up. How did you hold your own stuff or make space for that? How did you move it to the side and still be able to be present with clients? Do you think any of them noticed or did you talk about that with them? Did I talk to them about the grief that I was still grieving or did I talk to them? Is that what you asked, were asking? Yeah, um, okay. that you were still grieving or because I'm sure some of them knew what was going on. But if anything did come up for you, um, oh, was that yeah. addressed? Or like, I guess I'm just imagining people listening and being like, how do you keep it so compartmentalized or yeah. how do you keep yourself so composed 
when you're listening to other people's problems, there had to have been times where that wasn't the case, you know, and, and clients noticed or was there? It, well, and just to be clear, when you said earlier that you took the 18 months off type of thing, it was about grief specific related issues. I mean, yeah. you, you were still practicing. So part of that's like, so people m might not be in there to see you for grief, but they're, they start talking about something that bleeds over. Yeah. And it's, it's that kind of thing. I just want to make sure the audience is understanding that you were still doing work at that point. Yes. I actually went back, I think two weeks, a week and a half or two weeks. I started seeing clients after my mom passed away. And some of that, honestly, it was for me, again, going with my personality, it was actually really helpful to stop focusing on the intensity of the grief and to really sit with other people in their pain. For me, that's been a very purpose and life-giving thing. Not, I am aware that you have to be very careful that you're not completely ignoring your own. So I made sure I had spaces where I was completely real and raw with my grief outside of the therapy room. That's important because if not, it's going to bleed out whether you bleed all over the place, whether you like it or not. And so I just made sure I was really um, intentional about my own space outside of that. And I made sure I didn't get involved with super needy people in my personal life. I know that sounds bad. I just had to be really conscious of it. But if it did come up with a client, I would kindly let them know. I would just let them know like, hey, I'm sorry. You probably see me getting emotional and teary. I just want to let you know I lost my mom a few months ago. And this is what it's reminding me of. And this is what I'm wondering if you're feeling. Like I just kind of moved it into the session with them. And they actually, again, it was amazing how the rawness and the authenticity just really connected to people in their own pain. Like I felt like it was very moving. Right. Yeah, I, I can see how it's kind of like this elephant in the room. It's so interesting that like people, when you get close to people as a therapist and you're working with them, you know, week in and week out, they can sense that something might be going on or they can sense that something is maybe just a little off with you or, or they might even think it's with them and they don't yeah. really know why. And so when you bring that out, it's like, Oh, I can, that makes sense. That's why you're, you're more emotional or that's why, you know, you've got this going on. And I think that can actually really help the process. I think yeah. also that um, what you're saying is not manipulative. Like I think there might be some folks, Oh, you guys are just kind of trained as therapists to be like, to just switch off and do this complex avoidance and put it back <laughs> on the person. It's like, well, there's this thing that in that when you're when you're going through training called countertransference. Mm -hmm. And it, it just means like how you are experiencing what the client is experiencing it is important. Like, and I won't won't go into huge depth of that, but it's just about being aware as a therapist that, like, wow, that's impacting me this way. And then also being able to be focused on the client and going, well, if this impacts me this way, I wonder how they're being impacted right now. So it's not this manipulative avoidance of trying to just schlep it off. It's really staying focused with the situation to try to help the other person. And also to be to validate the fact that it's real. This, this experience this client is having is real and your life as well is real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's super important for clients to see modeled healthy communication in the midst of pain and to be able to sit with that and the kind of like gestalt theory, right? Like here and now, this is how I'm experiencing you. This is how you're experiencing me. And I'm sorry. Let's talk about it. Like, I'm sorry if it's going to bother you that my eyes are getting teary <laughs> or I mean, I had one client I can remember and I had seen her at that point for years 
like two or three years. So she was like weekly for two or three years, one of my long-term clients. And with her, I was way more honest because she was in a huge fight with her mom at one point or no, what was it? It was something big that directly related. And I had to say, you know, you know, I'm going to have to weigh on in on this because you know, it just happened to my mom or something. And I, I was like, I'm sorry if this is crossing boundaries, but let's talk about this. What's the reality here? And we were way more raw and real, but yeah, I've seen her for eight years straight. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's really cool. That can also be really helpful. I think for a couple of reasons I can see, and I've had some of those experiences as well. And I can see there's like a shift that happens with people it's like they're they're watching very carefully you as a therapist going through this and in some ways they're admiring it's like wow it's in, it's amazing how you can feel whatever you're feeling go through what you're going through and yet still stay so poised or still be able to be communicative and in kind of in control of your stuff but it's less of like i'm admiring you and it's more of like wow there's hope that you actually know what you're talking about yeah. and i can see what it looks like in front of me and i know you and you care about me and you you know me and you can help me with this so it's it's this connective experience but i think it's also a very hopeful experience that's like oh i can see what that looks like in front of me it's modeled maybe i've never had it modeled like that to me and that i think can be really helpful also when you're sharing about <laughs> this stuff with your mom you know, some of we're people and some of our own perspectives and experiences are what people are looking for. They're not looking for a blank slate of somebody who's just super academic and just wants to give them information that they can just walk away from and like know stuff. So when you're talking about sharing like, hey, I got to weigh in on this, you know, my mom passed away and here's a perspective that, you know, it's you don't yeah. have to take it as the entire gospel truth here, but like it's a part of it that you might want to consider especially because maybe I hadn't considered that before and now it's important. That's really helpful to people. And they, I think they see that you're taking what happened to you and you're giving it back to them as something that's useful and valuable so that they can benefit from that. Yeah. And I think I value that with my team and our clinicians. Like I hire for people who can be, the name of my center is Authentic Connections Counseling. And we value journeying alongside the client for real. We are super clinical in our training, but we're not super like sterile and clinical in the session. We're very relatable. And I feel like as long as you are within boundaries and you have supervision or peer consultation around it, you can manage both. Yeah. Maybe talk a little bit about what is that? You said those boundaries and supervision and consultation. How do those things help you as a clinician to maintain the right kind of relationship with your clients. Yeah. So I can, not with grief, but I can remember certain situations where I was being like, I knew I was, something was rising up within me emotionally and I would keep it together in the midst of a session and look completely fine to the client. And you would be able to say certain things, but afterwards I would grab one of my clinicians, partners or something and say, Hey, oh my gosh, do you have five minutes? I have to spew out this stuff so that I can get it out of my head and I need your feedback. Like, what do you think about this? And then I would say this and they would just have really nuggets of wisdom for me and I'd be able to work through it. Or sometimes it'd be like, yeah, that probably sounds deeper. You need to work on that more with your therapist or your supervisor. And it's it's just being honest and knowing your own stuff, your own triggers and when you need to um, get help. Don't think you're above everything just because you have a master's or a doctorate degree in counseling. You always need to work on your stuff. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm thinking of the audience right now out there going like, what? <laughs> I know. what well, you, You're like, forget this. We're not airing this pod- this episode. <laughs> Wait a minute. And I bet your clients are going to come to you like, Don, do I trigger you? <laughs> I know. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so I noticed you told a little story. It kind of sounded familiar. Just out of curiosity, was I sitting in the room before the <laughs> Well, luckily, I'm sharing mostly about seven years ago because the the hardest time for me was grief and then postpartum, like coming back after my baby is like eight weeks, 12 weeks. Those were the hardest times for me. And so I feel like my youngest is five. My oldest is nine. I feel like I've had some space in between (laughs) to like look at it. Talk to us a little bit about that um, postpartum. Share maybe like what was the challenge for you personally? And then uh, what was that like? You know, because we're this whole episode is talking about how your own stuff, you carry that with you into the therapist chair when you're working with other people. So how did that impact you as a professional? Yeah, well, that was the first time um, I felt like you can't keep your private life private is when you have a growing belly because you're growing a child inside of you. Like. <laughs> Did you try to cover that up for a while? I, I did. Well, it was funny. I had I was working with an elderly client who was like, "You really don't fit in that. You, I know you're pregnant, but you should not. <laughs> you should not be wearing that." And I was like, "Whatever." <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I know. <laughs> but anyway, I had to discuss. Or if I was sick, like if I didn't feel good in the session, I had to like let them know. I feel like there was one client who was super attached and she would take everything personally. And so when I was sick, she was like, are you, what's wrong? What did I do wrong? Like she didn't know I was pregnant yet. And I had to tell her, I was telling her before I was telling friends, like in the first trimester. (laughs) (laughs) So some of that was like, it was really weird for me because it was so public and I did not like it. And you're, in a small space, usually when you're in a therapy room and they can like read everything on your face. And so anyway, so that was part of it. And then postpartum, well, I experienced a lot of panic attacks and anxiety during my first pregnancy. And I won't go into details about that, but I had to, um, it brought up some stuff that I had to work through and that was hard. I actually started doing my own EMDR after I had the baby and that was super helpful in understanding stuff, but I mean, you guys probably know, you have kids, the sleepless nights after having an infant, like and then going in to be present with people and you're like, I had two hours of sleep. <laughs> um, it just felt like th- that was just harder for me, especially being 37 and 41. Like I felt like it hit my body differently than a 20 year old having a baby. So I, I just had to be more, actually I limited my clients I was seeing 25 clients a week. I had to go down to like 15. So I had more space for them and energy (laughs) and space for my own stuff. So I feel like I lost the question. Did I answer it? (laughs) You you answered it. I I was just thinking like, yeah, I didn't experience any of that stuff because my wife just did it. I was fine. I slept like a, I slept like our baby. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. He slept better than the baby. Right. Right, Yeah. (laughs) He didn't wake up at all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I just, oh my gosh. Nathan, Um, you're going to lose some listeners with that that answer. (laughs) I know. He used to have a whole bunch of uh, middle-aged women that 
came to see him, and they're all gone now. <laughs> yeah. No more. Yeah. Wait, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, what I was thinking actually was was uh, I'm just aware when my wife would talk about like the amount of advice that you get automatically <laughs> and i'm just sitting there thinking you're there in the room and you've got these women you're maybe working with oh when i had my pregnancy did you get any of that type of stuff oh yeah well and my anxiety with my first pregnancy was around some trauma i experienced as when i was three and i didn't realize it until i was pregnant and so I had to sh- tell people, I don't want to hear any negative stories. I can't handle it right now. I had to just put boundaries on it because women want to share birth stories. And if there's traumatic birth stories, that just sent me over the edge. And so I just was honest. Like, I can't really handle any traumatic birth stories right now. <laughs> and then- um, How they- did people respond to that, by the way? Because I'm, I'm just imagining, like, I mean, maybe maybe they felt they could be put off by that? Or did they really feel kind of like respected by that? Well, it's hard because I didn't have a lot of clients. I'm talking more friends and groups I was involved in outside of clients. Gotcha. It wasn't as much important of what they thought of me. But with clients, I'm trying to think, I don't think I ever had to say that to a client. I think I just took their advice and thanked them for it usually, honestly. Or actually a lot of women, definitely, if they were a mom... Um, again, with the connection and the authentic, deep ability to have empathy uh, was super powerful during that time. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah, I love that. And and I can see how, because I think Nathan and I and our practices and the people that we hire, we, we aim for the same thing of having, in a way, I guess I would say we want to be different kinds of clinicians that it's not that, you know, stodgy, stuffy, sterile uh, sort of a thing, but it's like really relatable and our clients can text us scheduling stuff. Whereas I know a lot of other businesses, it's like, you know, you have to submit a form or something to get in touch with one of the professionals, but we'll try to coordinate things, I think in a more personable sort of a way. So I can, I can understand how people would feel cared about. They would feel understood. They would feel safer in a lot of ways when they're bringing their lives to you, even though you have some of the stuff going on, they see that you're capable of managing it and they're in capable hands with you. Thank you. Yeah. And another thing that when you were talking reminded me, one thing I had to do a lot, I learned a lot about mindfulness and guided imagery and like safe place and resourcing. And so I did a lot of work on that. So sometimes in a session, if something did come up, that was harder I would start creating like safe place in my head while so I could be present. I know that sounds really weird and um, it might be confusing to people, but I was able to like get calm so that I could be present for a client. Yeah. And then I would say afterwards, like, I don't know if you guys have therapists on your team who work with postpartum. I, one of the things with working with women with perinatal mood disorders, or especially postpartum is having that you're not alone in that connection. So we definitely disclose more with perinatal mood disorder clients about your own experience. That's actually super healthy and helpful in, but I wait again, did it after like now I could share about it. It's been seven years. So, or five years. So stuff like that has been super helpful in being honest, like, Oh yeah, my pregnancy was hard and I hated being pregnant. <laughs> so clients actually need to hear that when they're going through perinatal stuff. Yeah. I, I really appreciate your authenticity. Um, that's one of the things that's really valuable to us, uh, to Aaron and I is doing shrink thing. I'm wondering just in closing here, as we close ourselves up, is there anything that we may have missed that you might want to 
add in there from a passionate place in your own heart that you that you hope people learn and know and grow with um, when they are just kind of around you? May that be clients or other fellow clinicians or your family? What do you just kind of hope for people to to experience with you? Yeah, I would say right now my mind goes to some of the, and I didn't I wasn't really specific or talking about this, but I do have a deep spiritual faith. And even though I grew up conservative Christian, and I did a lot of deconstructing of my faith during the grief during my pregnancy, those were instrumental in deconstructing my own faith, but also reconstructing it and how I relate to God and how I relate to others. It was super powerful. Maybe during the time it was super messy, but now I look back and those were instrumental in my growth. And I would just encourage people to just allow that space in their life to maybe connect in the pain and maybe connect to God in the midst of that. For me, that was pivotal in my healing and getting real personal on that level. Yeah, absolutely. And and I just want to put a plug for your podcast, Faith Fringes podcast. Uh, I've listened to it and and it's fantastic. It's you do a really good job of being authentic, covering a lot of ground of how you've experienced faith, spirituality, God, all that kind of stuff from a really honest perspective of like what's hurt, what's helped, just looking at things, I think really honestly, without trying to push people in any particular direction, because you just, you just want to kind of unpack all that stuff and put it out in front of you and, you know, see what's what. Um, So I found that really helpful. I've referred a lot of my clients to that because people have lots of questions and they have lots of hurts and injuries and they just need a kind of a place where they can talk about that and explore that stuff honestly. So I just want to give a plug for your podcast. It's fantastic. Again, it's called Faith Fringes. Uh, Don, can you tell us where people can find you out on social media and on the web? Sure. First of all, thank you so much for that promotion of Faith Fringes. Um, Yeah, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook. It's Faith Fringes. And then I also have a website, faithfringes.com. You can also email me, dawn at faithfringes.com. And any of those means you can get a hold of me. And I also do, I have an e-course, a free email course that is just how to, it's called spiritual reflections. And it just kind of walks you through your own spiritual journey and helps you kind of figure out what you've been through and how you can connect to God now and kind of deconstruct a little bit. Awesome. Well, thanks again for being on our show and being a fantastic guest and sharing your life and story with us. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's always fun talking with you guys. Thanks for listening to our show. Don't forget to head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts to leave us a review and subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also visit our website at www.shrinkthinkpodcast.com forward slash course and sign up for our free email course, Nine Ways to Overcome Fear and Self-Doubt. And you'll get nine weeks worth of customized, practical strategies you can use to get past the fear that's holding you back in your life. Thanks again for listening. Thanks again for listening.